Today I want to look at, and continuing on the book of Acts, uh, all this year we've been studying the order of Melchizedek, <clears throat> right? And trying to, to figure out, after this priesthood, you know, this royal priesthood, now we know the Levites, they're the ones that sacrificed the goats and the sheep and the lambs. And in Israel, they were the priestly tribe that continued to operate under the law of Moses and making sacrifices that uh, covered but did not remit sin, that allowed their obedience through faith in God to allow him to come and be amongst them one day out of the year on the Day of Atonement <clears throat> and to commune with him and to find direction from him. And this was practiced for many generations, but before this priestly order was the Melchizedekian priestly order. This was before Moses. It was before Abraham because Abraham tithed into that Melchizedekian priest. So this was who spoke for God and who led the people um, of, of all of creation. And so uh, before the Mosaic law. And so this was people like Noah and Shem and even Adam himself, Enoch, those who walked with God, heard God's voice, and continued after the fall to instruct mankind on the things of God. Um, when nations were dispersed at the Tower of Babel, uh, we recognized that God already had a plan to make sure his nation, and he called them by name, my nation Israel, <clears throat> that will be mine. This was long before Israel was ever formed. And the man to which Israel was named after, his name was actually Jacob. But in Jacob was a seed of faithfulness that was needed to birth an entire nation. What I love about genealogy, and most people don't really care for it because it could be boring, but the overall theme of genealogy and nation is how God connects the intrinsic properties of individuals through a very physical lineage. That's good. That's good. That he says this intrinsic personality trait that you have, this particular way that you think, this area that you and your entire family have in common, maybe you, for the most part you are all musical, maybe for the most part you're very compassionate, maybe you're very athletic, maybe you're very stubborn, maybe you're very analytical. There is an intrinsic personality trait, you know, of, of, of families, right? And what I love is that God then says, see how these families, keep reproducing within the same personality trait, yes. similar to how you reproduce within reason with the same physical traits. Yes. He says, so this Israel is going to be mine. This group of people that has this personality trait similar to Jacob. And if you know Jacob, he wasn't that clean of a person. But that was the personality trait that was an indicative for what God wanted to birth an entire nation out of. It's something about our character, our personalities, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions that God wants to use. He wants to use this aspect of you, this intrinsic way that you and everybody in your family are. Even when you say, I'm not going to be like them, you still end up somehow 
showing traits of exactly the same people you said, you promised yourself you wasn't going to be nothing like. Now, you may not have gone full-blown the way they went, but you can definitely attest, I can see why my family acts like this, did like that, move like that. Hello? Just like we can say, oh, you got your family nose, we can all say, oh, you got your family attitude. I know whole families, you got your family tone, like your pitch is up here. When you go to your family reunions, everybody loud. (laughs) Then you got the the Petersons, everybody quiet. Hello, it's so good to see you. What? (laughs) What did you say? I said it's good to see you. Now you go to your family and, what's up, cuz? How you doing? Hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now. That ain't even a real, hey now, hey. Oh, so y'all can relate. You don't really know until you start venturing out. See, my job allows me to venture into different families. And the differences of different families that... You be like, yeah, these, these. all of Stefan's family play. They play games, they play sports, they play, they all, everybody here family, they play food, they play, they all play music. They, well, if it's got play involved in it, his whole family plays something. See, y'all just now discovering your own family traits. I've been to them. Them's your peoples, who you, who you hail from? Oh, okay. Hello? You, you got to know what that is. Hello? I get it. I get it. You know, and when I start meeting your family, I say, oh. Because oh. you really don't know if this is a life circumstance that brought this change or, or you have been grown in this. Oh, see, that's a whole new different thing. That's why I love to get to know your family, Zilla. Oh, so you was raised in this. Okay, this is, we need a different approach. Okay, I thought this was just an incident that happened. No, this, this rooted. It's these family traits that are intrinsic. That means they're, they're not tangible. They're inside, inner being, and mind, heart, spirit, emotions. These things are truly who we are they're deeper than what we do they influence greatly what we do even though they are separate from what we do they're the part of us that we can give into and the part of us that we have to fight against there are traits in us that we want to multiply and traits in us that we need to decrease But all of these is a sum total of who you are as a person, as a being, separate from your flesh, which is how your being is expressed. Your body, your job, your work, your words, your actions and your deeds is how your being is expressed. From smiling to clapping, from melancholy dispositions to sleepiness, how your being is expressed. We not being in you, everybody else, 
only know you by your expression. What I find is so problematic in church is that people have a hard time expressing truly what is inside. By the time it goes from that deep core level on the inside, thoughts and fears and insecurities and anxieties and past mistakes and past failures and curiosities begin to mold and shape that expression. So when you meant to smile, you end up frowning. I'm trying to help you. Hello, somebody. I'm trying to help you. Right? Now, you want to tell me that what you saw me do is not who I really am. Right? But at the in inner level, and I could agree, at a spirit, the essence of you, the spirit of who you are, it may not be who you are. But all this other stuff that began to shape and reconform that expression is also who you are. Y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to, you you're not even trying to be real with me. Yes, at the spirit level, you really don't desire to be this way. At a core level, you really hope and wish and, and really want to be a certain, but as it begins to be expressed, your fear of being single, your, your fear of being alone, your, your fear of not being successful, your, your fear of not, all of this starts shaping and misconstruing that core. And those things are still a part of you. Right? If we could just get rid of this other stuff, If I could get rid of the things that press, if I could get rid of the things that bind, if I could get rid of the things that start trying to contort, you know, if I could just get rid of this stuff, then, 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 then this, is the, this is pretty, this is what God made. Could you? Get up, out, get up and out. God, but what, what, what came out? Oh, I, I, I didn't want to die. That, that did look like that, didn't it? Did I? I said that, didn't I? I did. Oh, wretched man that I am. So if I had to entitle, subtitle this message, <laughs> went a long way to get to your, our subtitle. <laughs> um, this is part 15 on the Acts of the Saints. Subtitle, Emotions That Bind Us. Did y'all know that this was in, in Acts? <laughs> Emotions that bind us. We're going to cover um, about two chapters today. Uh, but we're going to run through them a little quickly. All right. Acts chapter 15. Emotions that bind us. In Acts chapter 15, it starts off... Um, and uh, some men came, you know, Paul has been, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching now to Gentiles, a work that Peter started. And what most people forget is that it was not Paul that opened the door to Gentiles. It was Peter, which is good because he was one of the original apostles. 
All right, Paul, he came later to the scene, right? But, but Peter opened the door. God used Peter to open the door to the original Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas were then sent on their first mission to go off far away from Israel and Jerusalem, up north to Turkey in that kind of area, way up there. And they started their mission. And as we discussed for a couple of chapters now, Paul and Barnabas' first couple of assignments, they went to places that they were familiar with, okay, where Barnabas was from. And they also, when Barnabas at the time had his nephew, John Mark, right? And they saw a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, similar to Peter when the Holy Spirit baptized Gentiles. These are people that have no understanding of the law. They have not sacrificed one lamb, one sheep, one goat, one pigeon, and for the most part have been participating in other belief mechanisms and religions. Heard the gospel preached by Peter and then got saved. Like show, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they spoke in other tongues like the original apostles on the day of Pentecost. This is mind-blowing. I cannot stress this enough how important this is. Because it made the first last and the last first and everybody's equal. Because yeah. yeah. in, in, in true Jewish form, the Jews were first. And then the Gentiles were last. But then the last became first and the first became last, so that's equal. So those who have never sown any seed in the understanding of God have equal gift of the spirit of God with those who have been laboring for generations. It's a big deal. That's why I get a little peeved when people use that to to talk about how the last shall be first, they're going to be above the person that was first. No, it's the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's equal. Not, oh, I'm about to be on top. <laughs> no, you're not. And, and it rings true of our culture that we don't even like for people to be equal. <laughs> Sister Gabrielle is one of the chiefest. I have to minister to her heart about this so often because she cannot understand how the laborers who labored all day long can get the same pay as the ones who just showed up on the scene. She just has a hard time with that. And I said, well, Gabrielle, the money is not yours. He's still paying you what you agreed to do. You thought it was a good amount. This is great. Now you mad because somebody else did less work and got the same amount. But it's not, it's not like they shorted you. So this has nothing to do with whether your work was worth it. This has everything to do with the idea of comparison. Hello, somebody. If you have it, then I'm not special. My work is not special. Hello, somebody. It is, oh, I'm, 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 I'm trying I'm try, I'm try, I'm to cut in here, you know, to these emotions that bind us. Hello? Like not, but something, the gospel is founded on that principle. You like it when you're the last one hired. Come on, somebody. 
but you have a hard time. Let me get this straight. If you were the first one hired, this is a parable. If you don't know, this is a parable in the Gospels that Jesus explains. Now, when you thought you were the first employee getting paid, and then the latter ones come on the last hour and get paid the same amount, you felt shorted. But when you are the latter employee coming at the last hour getting paid as the same amount, how grateful would you be? You're a Gentile. You are a Gentile. You are not Jewish. I don't care what them black Hebrews have told you. You is the Gentiles. You is the benefactor of coming at the last hour before the trump sounds and receiving equal promise to those that have been here with God generation after generation been dispersed had to come back been that's that's is that your This is why God gives forgiveness to those who forgive. Gives mercy to those who are merciful and gives grace to those who are gracious. Because it is a very selfish act. I'm, I'm, I'm coming on down here with you on this. It is a very selfish act to receive mercy and cannot extend mercy to anyone else. To be given grace and favor and then be upset when somebody else is given grace and favor. No, I'm, 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 the emotions that bind us, I'm trying to show you how your competitive nature. Hello? Is not allowing you to be free. I'm going to show it to you in scripture. In Acts chapter 15, the apostles Paul and Barnabas were preaching. They finished their first half, of the first leg of their journey, of their first missions trip. And they're getting ready to make a turn to continue on. But prior to that, there's some brethren from Judah. You know, Judah is, 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 is connected to Jerusalem, all right? It's in that, that area. And these these, what we come to find out, these Pharisees um, that were converted, this is in Acts chapter 15, the Pharisees that were converted to Christianity began to teach in the Gentile communities, travel out there to tell them, you also need to be circumcised. And the Gentiles was like, say what? Now when we signed up for this, Ain't nobody told us nothing about having to get circumcised. Uh, you know, that, that, that don't, something don't seem quite, hello, somebody. I didn't know. And so an uproar began to happen in the, in the Gentile church because people are now teaching. Y'all need to go line up to the doctor and get your, your, your Peter Snippers done because this has to happen. Because as a way to show your faithfulness to God and to be really, truly a part of God's kingdom and people. Now, 
in hearing this, it's not just the idea that you got to snip me is the problem, although that's big. It's also the idea that you told me I was saved by faith. You told me that upon hearing and believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he is, hello somebody, that he is the lamb of God, that he is God himself came down for our sins in order to receive us, that when we truly believed that, that he would give us his spirit and we had evidence that he gave us his spirit and now you want to tell us to do something in addition? And it was a huge, it was a huge conflict. What we see here is the emotion of the Philistine, I mean the uh, Pharisees. What we see is the emotion of the Pharisees, their old way of thought, things that they hold dear. Oh, y'all don't want to help me. Things that you feel like when you came to God, you had to do such and such. And when I came to God, I had to do such and such. And when I came to renew, I had to do such and such. And then you begin to tell other people, no, now, now that you're here, you need to know. And I hear people say these types of things. Binding up new believers in a pattern of cutting that you had to go through that they have missed. And when we're trying to do something different, you know, when people say, Pastor, you changed since Mother Hudson passed. Yes, I'm fully aware, right? And then they have talking sessions about how you weren't here before Mother Hudson passed. Pastor was different. Okay. Right? These new batches of people, they get to skip out on all of that. They get this version. <laughs> and they be looking at y'all like, what is wrong with y'all? She's so nice. And y'all be like, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but she'll kill you. What? Pasta ain't gonna kill no. She will kill, she will cut you on the inside. She will lay you bare on the inside. She real gentile. I don't see how she real genteel. I don't know. She's just she's just so soft and sweet. Soft and sweet. She will devour you. Right? And they skipped this part of me. And you you endured that part of me. Hello? But it is obvious by God's sovereignty, you needed that part of me, which is why you showed up then. And they need this part of me, which is why they showed up now. Because generations are born in God's timing. Yeah, I was a rough pastor because I had rough neck sheep. And some of them still trying to hang on to their rough neck ways, huh? So every once in a while, I say I got to body slam some of them old schoolers, you know. And the new people were like, I just understand why you can't be respectful of the pastor. They'd be like, I don't know either. I 
don't know what is wrong with me, but shut up. I've been looking at the new believers like, it's okay. They've got issues. Don't worry, I, I can handle this. I'll be back. When they heard of this conflict, the leaders met in Jerusalem to discuss what should be done with these Gentiles. All right, because in true form, they realized, now God did say that these Gentiles would come in. The prophet Amos prophesied about this, and you'll see that in chapter 15, that the, the, new, the, the kingdom of God and the temple of God would be rebuilt when Christ returns, and that people will seek God of all nations and including the Gentiles. So they went back to prophets to say, this has always been in the will of God. And since we've seen that the Holy Spirit was given to them in the same manner that it was given to us, we can't figure out why we need to add any extra rules, any extra hurdles they need to jump over, right? Now, what I like to, to, to bring to your attention is the idea that they're going based off of they actually saw the Holy Spirit endue them with power. I have a problem as a New Testament believer and pastor of this modern era is with the idea that I'm supposed to believe that you don't need no rules when I have yet to see the Holy Spirit operate with you in power. Now, it is obvious from Scripture that believing in God does not get you into heaven just on its own. The Bible says very clear, clearly that Satan believes in God, and he's not going to heaven. So a belief in God is not getting you into heaven. Every man is born with a conscience of God, an awareness of who he is. You have to use faith to unbelieve that God exists, right? So believing in God is not sufficient. You could even say, believing in Jesus, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And you could know this fact. What, I'd have a, what we can't seem to, 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 to range here is how much of this is knowledge and how much of it is in the heart. For a man believes with his heart, not his mind. Belief is, is a scale of things. There are stages of belief. There's first the knowledge of the truth. Like, this is a bench. And this bench has four legs and a surface. And it is designed to hold your bottom up. That's the first step. Do you see this bench? Yes. Do you see its legs? Yes. Do you see its flat surface? Yes. Now, this bench will hold you. Hmm, huh? Did it do what? This bench will hold you. Hmm, I'm bigger than the bench. I don't think the bench is going to hold me. I am literally bigger than this bench. How can something smaller than me hold me? That doesn't seem right. Okay, well, let's, let's go a little further 
in your understanding. Well, the way surface area distributes uh, weight is that these four legs, when spaced appropriately with a flat surface, will take your weight and evenly distribute it over into four different corners of the legs, one, two, three, and four. Thus, your weight is not going to fall in the center, but based on of the, rigidity, uh, the, ri the rigidity of the surface, your weight is then distributed into four places rather than one place, which is where it would always fall. Right? Do you understand that? All right, so weight distribution, four legs. This is how something smaller than me can hold me. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? I, 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 I believe that. I believe what you're telling me is true. Now, that doesn't mean you really believe. Y'all don't want to help me today. We don't know if you really believe until you walk over here and take your 200 pound self and look at these skinny little legs and you gotta sit your 200 pound self up. Now you believe. Do you believe? Yes. I still don't, I still don't know how this happened. You explained it to me, but, but it is, it is definitely, it is definitely holding me up. It, it, it is definitely holding me up. Now, 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 if I get up and walk off, right, I could have been uneasy about that. You understand? Like, oof. I mean, it did it, but oof. It's two little skinny legs, little toothpicks holding up this ass. Oof. And no matter what, I will still kind of find ways to avoid having to sit. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help now, now, I tried it one time, hello somebody, and it seemed like it worked, but, but I still am un uneasy about the mechanism of this. So when given the opportunity, I'ma just sit on the floor. No, that's all right, I'll just sit right here. This seems, it, it ain't that I don't believe, it's just that I, I just don't feel comfortable. It's, it's not that I don't believe, it's just that I just prefer the floor. It's just, hello. Hello, somebody. But when you really believe something on Monday, on Tuesday, when you're tired, when you're not tired, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, you start getting bold. Come here, come here, hurry up, boy. Why are you running so slow? You start getting bold. Like, you know what? This is, this is, you, this is a bench. You can't stand on a bench. I could stand on a bench if I wanted to stand. You start doing crazy stuff with your faith. <laughs> Standing on stuff that most people like, uh-uh, get down there. All your weight is all pinpointed down in the center. No, no, just be careful. I say, be careful. I say, be careful. I say, be careful now, be careful. Now if I fall, I'm just gonna be like, ah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What I, what I have a hard time conveying to Christians is that belief is not always instantaneous. It can be, but it, not, it depends on your tribe, your family, your heritage. 
Come on, come on. Now, come on. It depends on what kind of personality traits you and your family have always had. Some of y'all are like, no, when I know it, I know it, I feel it, that's it. And you just jump on top of that bench. Other people are like, no, in my family, we don't really, we don't really go for stuff like. Let, let, let me get the measuring tape. Hold on now. You say, you say, what the weight capacity when you, the velocity times mass. See, what religion starts to do is say that based on how you came in and instantly jumped onto the bench, that this now defines how everybody else should come in. Y'all don't want to help me today. That everybody else needs to come in that same way, that, that you jump on the bench just like I did. And hello, somebody. I'm sure they would if they could. But the way they set up on the inside... Poor little Tink Tink over here got to measure it. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray while they're doing all this measuring. That the Satan don't come and devour them. But just like the power of God kept you up on top of that bench, the power of God is going to keep them while they are processing belief. It, it takes a lot for you to start putting your trust in something you ain't never put your trust in before. Yeah. It's only really one or two occasions that this could really happen. Hello? Three occasions. You was born eager to believe, and that's dangerous because you can believe anything, but that's a personality trait, right? Two, you are just naturally, when you hear the truth, you just go to it and you jump right on it. Or three, you have to have life experiences that build you. You gotta get so tired of sitting on the floor so tired of your knees cracking, so tired of your legs hurting, so tired of the feet falling asleep, that, ever, that you just start trying it. <sighs> All right, it worked. Okay, I feel better. Oh, I'm tired again. I'm tired. Oh, I'm tired again. Oh, there go that bench. I'm tired. Oh, my knees. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, my back. Oh, oh. here, I got to go try this bench again. All right, all right, all right, all right. It work, it work, it work. Hello, somebody. Some of you, God hasn't been giving you that tiredness. Hello, somebody. Over and over and over because you don't know how just to jump right into trust. And you want me to get you to jump right into trust. Baby, you ain't got the personality trait for that. Unfortunately, you're going to have to keep trying. And Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And after a while... You done did this so many times, you start having time. You know, God, he's a keeper. You know, God, he'll keep you up. He'll sustain you. He'll hold you where you didn't even know. It's at this point you become a believer of the bench. Now you're a believer. Anytime you're tired, you go right to the bench. The bench is you just sit down. Even if you ain't tired, you know, I just... I just feel like this is a more comfortable way to dialogue. <laughs> it's, just, it's just more comfortable for all of us, you know? And then you're not even tired. You don't even need it. You just like it. You went from, from not being sure of something to liking it. Can't imagine not having this in your house. Can't imagine not having a place like this to, to rest your weary soul. Can't imagine. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how people is making it without a bench in their heart. 
poor, poor Zoom people. I don't think none of that was on camera. <laughs> uh, oh, no, it might have been. But nevertheless, huh? you start to recognize that belief is a little different. And there are hindrances of our emotions that stop us from believing. From truth, what truth really is, it starts contorting it and changing it. I said I wasn't gonna sleep with that person and squish, 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 squish. I said I wasn't gonna do that no more. Squish, 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 squish. I said I was gonna start going to church and squish, squish. I said next Sunday I'm really going to squish, squish. And it just starts, it's the emotion of it. I'm gonna show it to you. So they came up with some things that says, well, when these believers are truly believers and, and the spirit of God has endued them with power to the point that other believers can see the spirit's expression. A lot of people believe in the Holy Spirit, but have not received the Holy Spirit. It was something you did out of desperation that one time you were really tired. It was something that you were convinced to do that one time you, you really messed up. You really went too far. You really got too low. Hello, somebody. You believe in it, but you really prefer not to have to live your life by it. I can't be no radical now. No fanatic, no Bible thumper. I prefer not to live my heart, live my life by that belief. And a lot of churchgoers live like that. So the council decided <clears throat> we're not going to put any extra rules on them. No extra laws, you understand. Nothing like that. We're just going to just give them some basics that they, they need to do. And the council came up with a couple of decisions. They said, therefore, we judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from, here's a couple of things. Abstain from the, thi abstain from the things polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. This is verse 19. And abstain from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. What they're trying to say is wherever these people are, these Gentiles in so many nations, there are Jews that have been dispersed through the, the diaspora. And these Gentiles have heard of Jews and they've been teaching the law of Moses. So when they, these Gentiles get saved, we don't want any conflict and unnecessary harm on the Jews whose practice of Judaism is very near and dear to their hearts. So can you guys and all of your liberties at least not do the things that really would offend your Jewish brothers? That's pretty much what they're asking. Like, okay, you start trying to eat from the, the idols and table and drink blood and all this kind of stuff, 
your Jewish brothers are really going to have a hard time accepting you as brethren. So how about you just don't do that? These are practices that are familiar in, in, in other Gentile religions that those of the Jewish faith really have a hard time dealing with. And so they're saying, can you just not do those? Just to add unity, right? So in essence, <clears throat> you are free to do whatever you want. This freedom, right, from religion and religious acts of circumcision now has allowed you to freely choose not to offend your brother. We're not saying that if you do these things, it will keep you from God because that's his business and how the Holy Spirit was displayed, was expressed through you, right? But we will say it could add conflict to you and your brethren learning from each other, growing from each other. And, and the Jewish people had an understanding of God. This is who was doing all the teaching, right? So we need you to calm down on all your pagan stuff that you may further learn about this God that is now being expressed in your members. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so now with this found freedom where all things are lawful but not expedient, now you have freedom from religion. And as in essence, they're telling us, you can do these things, but the fact that you're not doing them is more of an indicator of who your freedom than anything else. Aha, that's more of an indication of your freedom. I can do these things, but I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not doing them. Now watch how this is, you can freely not participate in sexual immorality. That right there alone is evidence of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Being free to not do these things is evidence that you have been gifted the spirit of God because most of us are trying to be free from doing these things and you are free already to it. I can actually not do it. And I'm looking at other believers going, what is wrong? Just sit on the bench. It'll hold you if you let it. He will hold you if you let him. Come on now, just take a seat. What is wrong? I don't, I, you know, I just, ah, ah. So this freedom from religion that Paul is saying, we're not going to impose any other actions on these Gentiles, also reflects a freedom from emotional bondage of sexual immorality, of socialism, of your society, because they were in a Gentile community where these practices of drinking blood and idols and idolatry was common. Hello, somebody. And now you're going to be ostracized from your community and your family and your neighborhood by abstaining from this. But the abstaining of this is not in order to make you a Christian. It's because you are a Christian. You can choose to abstain and actually do it. This freedom that you have 
actually reveals the power of God working in you. Because many of people want to not participate in that pagan holiday. But they don't have the strength to go against cultural and societal norms. They don't have the strength to tell their kids, look, Santa Claus ain't real. Christmas is not what's up. It's about Jesus. This consumerism needs to stop. They mean to do it. They want to do it. But when that truth starts bubbling up, all the Christmas songs and silent night, holy night. Oh, oh, it's the family. We're getting together. And oh, my coworkers is having a white elephant party. And oh, the kids, they wanted the Xbox for Christmas. And, and my mama said, the kids can. And all of this. Now, the truth that you wanted to express doesn't quite come out the way you intended. Hello, somebody. The top of the year, yeah, Pastor, we ain't going to do no Christmas. And then, oh, look at all the colors and the lights. And don't you want to go to the botanical gardens and see the Christmas lights? And, oh, we need to bake some Christmas cookies. And, oh, we need to decorate the Christmas tree. It's true, you know you shouldn't. But as this thing starts to bubble up, all this other stuff that's also in you starts pressing on that truth. And the real you is expressed in a way that you prefer not. So I'm sure these New Testament Gentiles, these new converts, if they're able to abstain from these things, is further showing that they have truly received, they have sat on that bench they know that this thing will hold them. It will hold, it will hold me when my community ostracizes me. It will hold me when I'm lonely in my bed by myself. It will hold me when I'm, when I'm what do you say, what, else, what do women say, ovulating. It will hold me when my hormones go up. This thing will hold me. All the man was like, I don't know what that is, the feminine thing is. Just, just go amen, just, just look straight and act like you ain't even phased. I'm a mature man, I don't even. <laughs> but it will hold them. So being free, in this case the Pharisees who wanted to implement this were not free themselves of their religious personalities that have been ingrained in them throughout the years. And they too, by this judgment, would be free. Y'all don't want to help me. Not only are the Gentiles free, but when the church has to make a judgment about this and say, this is not how salvation is done. This is what the scripture says. Now you too, Pharisee, who've always been enslaved by this emotion and this feeling to make sure you obey the law, you too can be free also. Now everybody, everybody get a little freedom. They were bound to how they were raised. Bound to what they were taught that was good. What they were taught wasn't bad, it was good. It was needed, but now it's not needed. And now it can be harmful and detrimental to where you are going. Hello, somebody. And most people have a, Adolescents have a hard time. I was never adolescents. Some of y'all middle-aged adults have a hard time making that transition. It's either your parents got to be completely foul 
and everything about your childhood was horrible or it was great because you can't seem to just recognize that you needed to be taught that at that time and it was needed and now at this season of your life you're gonna have to start letting go of something your mama told you, you could be everything and anything you wanted to be at that time because that's what you needed to hear but baby you was too old to feel like you can be anything and everything you need to be you cannot you need to go to job get to get this, get this paycheck need to feed these babies you ain't got time to be everything and anything you need to be whatever pay the bills You got kids? Yeah, 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 yeah. You need to be, what's the, how much they pay? $20 an hour? Yeah, you need to be that. That's what you need to be. And I don't feel, that's not my passion. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. See, see, you were raised like that. Now you grown. Hello, somebody. You need grown. Let's, let's adapt. Adapt. Right. I'm grateful to have a job. But it's really not my passion. How old are you? 30, 37, 30. I got this lesson in my 20s. <laughs> you need a paycheck. <laughs> I don't, I don't think bussing tables was my passion either, but I did it. <laughs> Hello, somebody selling beers. I was working when there was a blockbuster. I don't think rewinding tape cassettes was my passion. <laughs> You're not going to ever get to your passion because you don't have the mindset. You don't have the mindset to understand seasons and processing. So you're never going to go to your passion. See, I am now in my passion. But that's because I was blessed to have the mindset of wisdom to know the appropriate times and seasons of my life. You keep wanting to skip seasons and expect to be able to find yourself happily ever after. I try to tell you, ain't that right, me? I'm gonna keep preaching on you. Uh-uh, you need to finish this school. Uh-uh, you need to finish it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. But it's not my passion. Did she ever really said this, but this is what she be thinking. <laughs> but she ain't told me that, but because you know what I'm gonna say. Shmack it. No. And most of you have just jumped out here to Passionville, had no financial backing, and had to go back. Had to go back to a regular J-O-B, okay? Had to go, you weren't ready. He tried to tell you, you ain't ready for that. You ain't ready for that. Yeah, I am. I'm, 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 I'm just, I really feel like this is my calling in God. I just feel like I can touch people with the blah, blah, blah. How do you know when your passion is, is ready? You're ready for your passion as a vocation? How do you know? When it's paying bills. If it could pay for all of your expenses, then you're ready for it. If it cannot, you are not. Amen. Well, Pastor, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna quit my job and really focus on. No, you ain't. You're gonna go to work and focus. Both of them. You can't do both of these, you definitely can't do one. 
You can't do both, you're not going to succeed in your passion. You think all passion is just all you get to do? This is funny. Once I do my passion, that's all I get. I get to wake up every morning and do my passion. My passion is preaching. I get to do this for an hour and a half, one day out the week. The rest of that comes with, I got to counsel, I got to run budget numbers, I got to send emails, I got to have other meetings, I got to organize events, I got to pray, I got to fast. I, gotta I had a meeting yesterday that took me four hours. I was hemmed up for four. I, wasn't, I was led to this place by God, ran into this woman that I had a dream about, and I was hemmed up from four to eight o'clock. I came home. Oh, I'm so tired. But it's about if it's not going to be at church. Somebody has to bring the word. I'm so tired. I would like to just go to bed. Nope, can't do that. Because it's more than what you're passionate about. Yeah. It's all the other stuff. And if you can't operate in both areas, you definitely can't handle your passion. I try to tell people, I try to help you out, like, do this and this. Let's, let's see. Because I'm trying to stop you from wasting time. Because you're going to get out there and turn all the way back around, and an embarrassing turn all the way right back around. I'm trying to stop you from that. If you really want it, then jump this hurdle. Now jump this one and jump this one. You jump them hurdles and God will bless you. Yeah, it's just the way it works. It's processing. Anyway, I'm not going to, I'm way over there. Bring it back. All right, so they sent out the decree. They sent out a letter to the children uh, in the Gentile churches, and that was it, right? Paul and Barnabas uh, went out to, to make sure that you don't have to be circumcised. They sent two people, notable men, of, named Judas and Silas, and to go out and send these letters to all of these Gentile baby churches, or budding churches, I should say. That they abstain from idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. He said, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. That's pretty much, pretty much it, right? When they continued to Syria, Paul and Barnabas decided to stay in Antioch for a while, teaching and preaching with the Lord and, and many others also. Um, they, let, they stayed in Antioch and just encouraged the believers, the Gentiles. You know, you know, it takes a lot to take people that have no understanding of Jewish tradition and to show them this Jewish God. It takes a lot of developing and a lot of history and a lot of understanding about the character of God. It's easier because they have the spirit of God, but you got to remember we had to describe some things about the bench. Yeah. Just telling you it will hold you is not sufficient. You know, you can even sit on it and you still be leery because you don't really know how it works. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, so discussion and discussion, discussion and teaching and teaching and teaching on the gospel and, and understanding of who God is um, had to happen. Um, so after some days, Paul and Barnabas uh, said, let's go back to every other nation that we every country that we went to and planted churches. Let's go back and see how they're doing. That's what apostles do. And of course, this is when they wanted to go back. And Barnabas was like, well, let's scoop up John Mark again after he deserted us. 
in the first half of the trip? And Paul, and, uh, Paul says, absolutely not. No. He did not go with us to do this work, so he's not going to go with us to check on this work. Now, this was unique because Barnabas was, for the most part, the leading apostle between the two. It was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. When they make this split, Barnabas takes John Mark and Paul takes Silas, uh, no, Timothy, right? Now, they make this split. We don't hear anything else about John, Mark, and Barnabas, and it's just Paul, Timothy and Paul, Timothy and Paul. Paul chose Silas, and then I think later on he added Timothy. Um, Timothy was a disciple he picked up after his uh, trip to Darby and Lystra. This church had grew in Lystra. You remember the, the Lystra that he went back to after he was stoned to, and left for dead? Well, he went back again to see how their church was doing and to encourage them. At this time, he, run, he hears of this notable di disciple named Timothy. And they're like, Timothy, he's got the goods, man. That man loves God. His mom's Jewish. His dad is Roman or Greek. He's really into God, a great convert. So Paul was like, I want him to go with me. Go with you where? I want him to go with me for the rest of the missions. Timothy thus has to be circumcised. Now, because Paul is both Roman and Jewish, and in order to go to some of these other places, if you have to go with Paul and teach in the synagogue, you have to be circumcised in order to teach in the synagogue. So you cannot accompany Paul in unless you are circumcised. So Timothy has asked by Paul to get circumcised as a man. And he does it as a man. Now hear me when I tell you, Earlier, this type of thing, we did not want to impose this religious act on the Gentiles. But true believers will make themselves in bondage to this that others might be free. So you, so you, so so, so 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 you, Timothy, you gonna go with Paul? Yeah, yeah. He, what, yeah, but he said, I got to get circumcised. You got to get, I got to get, get snip, snip. Got to get that, 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 that cut, you know. Why? You know, because uh, Jews, you know, my mama's Jewish, and in order to go into the, you know, I'm half Jewish, so I got to, they need to receive our teachings, and, you know, I don't want to be standing outside, you know, can't get in, you know. Like, let me know, holler at me when you get out. See, I don't want to do that, so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just take one for the team on that. Are they making you do this? Nah, 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 nah. I want to do this. I want to be circumcised, further cut for the work of ministry. Not for his salvation, for the work of ministry. You got them certificates? Okay, let me see one. Let me read the scripture. It was on here. I was reading. I said, this is powerful. It's in Romans. These, we, we got it. They got the wrong date on them. We got to redo them. And, and you're supposed to have folders. Just it, it, Next Sunday, you'll be fine. Romans 6, 3, and 4, 
It reads, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may walk in a new way of life. Your baptism was a baptism unto death. It says, I have died. What does a dead man care about circumcision? Just as Christ died on the cross, I am baptized into that type of life. If he could die on the cross, I'm sure I could get a little snip snip. If he could die on the cross, I'm sure I can abstain from sexual immorality. If he could die on the cross, I'm pretty sure I could go and work over here for a bit. I'm pretty sure I could stay up a couple hours. I'm pretty sure. The reason this is problematic is because there are too many believers who believe in Jesus but really don't believe in Jesus. They believe the chair will hold them, but they never sit in it. And they sit in it on occasion when desperate, but they don't live in it. So then they really don't believe to the extent that Christ calls. Because then he commands us to go and make disciples. What you going to do when it's your turn to get snipped? Not for salvation, but that you might fulfill the work of the ministry. You can't even let go of your attitude, let alone your foreskin. You can't let go of your opinion. You can't let go of your rights. I have a right to such and such. Let me, let me, let me show you. So they just told everybody else, y'all don't have to get circumcised. But, Timothy, if you want to keep ministry, you need, we need you to get circumcised to follow in. All right, sure. Everybody else is clamoring on how we could do less. The ministers are, are clamoring to do whatever it takes. Well, can I get away with this? If that's not necessary, it's all right. Always trying to figure out how far can you go. How close can you get? You are not even brought into the faith with that. None of you in this house were even brought into the faith with how, how close to the line can you walk. I know because I raised you in the faith, and I know that's not how I live, so I don't know why you're so close to that line. And I always try to figure out how close can you get. Well, technically, can I still? Technically, can, and, and it bothers me. Because what I've noticed is that there's been no transformation of heart. You believe him, but you don't believe him. You know the science of the bench. You know the theology and the history. But there's been no change inwardly. I'm going to show it to you again in scripture. Let's keep going. So Timothy gets circumcised. Now they were going to go through Phygra and through the region of Galatia. And they wanted to go to Asia, Asia Minor, and then Myasia. And they wanted to go to Bithynia. But the spirit of the Lord did not permit them to go, which I thought was interesting. Apparently the believers there, he didn't, he didn't want the gospel to be preached just yet. 
So they had to go around them along the Galatian Trail and go to uh, Philippi and Tros, Troyos. They get to Macedonia, and it happened in verse 16 of chapter 16 that as we went to prayer, this is uh, probably Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. All right. So it says, now as we went to prayer, oh, let me back up. Go to verse 11. Lydia baptized at Philippi. So they go to Tros. And then they stop in Troyos near Macedonia, Macedonia, and they're at a colony when they go by the riverside. Now, at the riverside is where all prayer is customarily made, and they sat down and they began to speak to women. Okay, number one, this is hardly ever done, but he goes, and they're far away from Jerusalem at this point on a riverside where people are just praying to whatever gods they pray to, all right? And they begin to talk to women. In their process of talking to these women, Lydia, a merchant of purple, gets saved, and her household is saved. This is now freedom from social norms because it is not common for man to speak to a woman. And how many other households have you seen saved and they've been male? Like the head of house was a man. In this case, the head of house is a female. And Paul and them go and talk and minister the gospel. She brings, she hears it. Her whole, her and her entire household are then baptized at this riverside. She says, can you come and teach me? Now, now she's been free of gendered norms, societal norms as it relates to gender. She's been free of that. She invites him to all these men to her house. And, they, and she wants to feed them and take care of them while they're there. In the process of them being there, they, they, so they go back and forth to prayer and back and forth to the synagogue. And her house is now home base. It's probably very wealthy. Right? So they, keep, they go back and forth, back and forth in the community, praying, preaching, and teaching, and go back to Lydia's house. In the process, a slave girl hears of Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Paul and Silas and Timothy's journey. This girl follows Paul and the rest of them and cries out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Every time they went out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Every time they went out, these men, and she would just announce it and announce it in and out, in and out. Now, she was a slave girl, but she was also able, she also was uh, dabbled in divination, which means she was able to gain information and also some things about the future through supernatural means. That's what divination is. That's why horoscopes are divination, because you get knowledge through supernatural means. Does that make sense? So she was very good at divination, and some of the things that she found out were true, and she was making her slave masters a lot of money. 
okay? Um, to find out information and knowledge by supernatural means. It's to sit in a chair rather than sit in a bench. Here's our bench example. And you guys are sitting in chairs. If God says that I'm this bench and this is where you need to get information from, and you get it from any other means apart from me, it's divination. It matters not that it's effective. Apparently, it was very effective because she was making them a lot of money. What matters is that it's divination, is that you obtain this information for means that I did not tell you to do it. I did not lead you there. I did not guide you there. You just like the idea that it can tell you stuff. Oh, because she, she read my, my tarot card. And she flipped over this card, and it, when she flipped over the card, it said relationship, and it was upside down, and I knew right then. And that's exactly what happened because next week, two weeks later, da 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 People are, African-Americans are so into this right now. We used to always know this was voodoo. And we stayed away from it. Pentecost didn't even let you play with playing cards because them was the old tarot cards. It was, you stay away from them things. Now we like, what? Burn some sage, rub some crystals, get your tarot card flipped. Or they call them something else calls cards or purpose cards. I don't know what they call them, but anyway. I'm sure none of you have participated in any of it. I'm sure none of you have read your horoscope. I'm sure none of you had gotten intrigued by the information you could find about yourself. And it's new stuff where you, it's like more than the birth month, it's Chinese calendar sign and blue and, and you and him would do well because you, the chakras line. The energies. And now people are just saying, it's flat out saying, you know, some people call it a vibe, some people call it energy, some people call it a spirit. They just, they just flat out telling us everything is, can be supernatural and it's just get it whatever however you can. See, when I say it out loud, you seem shocked. But they are literally telling you, get whatever information you need for your life any way you can. Because what's paramount is that your life is successful. What's paramount is that everything lines up the way you want it to line up. That's what's paramount. So you need to get all the help you can to make sure your life lines up the way it's supposed to line up. That you could have the best life you could possibly have. This is why you're doing it. This is the intrigue. But does a dead man care about his life lining up? Again, here is where we've missed it. Well, we never really died in Christ. We just wanted to be good, morally upstanding people so that decent things will happen to us. Like a rabbit's foot, we don't want to make God mad, and then he really wrecks our lives. So she began to, to, to cry out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She did this over and over and over and over again. Now, Paul looks at her and is greatly annoyed. 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. See, there's, what Sister June say, a wealthy word in this. And you might miss it if you don't pay attention. The woman is saying truth. She is declaring that these are the men of God who have been sent to us to show us, to proclaim to us the way of salvation. This is true. Now, I've been there. I've been there when someone is doing something that should be noble, honorable, nice, kind, and I am sorely vexed in my spirit. I can't figure it out, but something about everything you're doing is just annoying on the inside. Like, and sometimes I have to tell, like, if you're working, like the pastors say when they work with me, I have to tell them, you have to have a very quiet spirit with me. You coming all in this space? I don't care. We can be, you can be doing regular, but I will feel that everything you're doing is very aggravating. And at some point, I'll stop you and go, what's wrong? Look, everybody said, that's what you're going to say. What's wrong? What am I doing? You ain't doing nothing. It's what I'm feeling while you are doing this. Now, some have had the unmitigated gall to lie. Hello? And say, I'm fine. There's nothing else. And I can't do anything with that. They had the unmitigated gall to actually lie. I can't do nothing about that. You want to hide it, hide it. But 99% of the time, it gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse. Because when God tried to show you the way of salvation, your pride, your selfishness, whatever the reason is that you decided not to express it, you kept. We could have been a formidable team, you and I conquering Satan together, fighting against you and what he's trying to do. But you decided to go alone. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pretty good fighter. You get me on your team, we gonna win. We gonna win. But no, you wanna be over there slumming it by yourself, looking crazy. Hello, somebody. Getting the snot beat out of you for the next couple of weeks, months. Interesting choice. But he was greatly annoyed with what she was saying and doing. Which I thought, but she's saying the truth. And then she had a demon? How? There's a secret in this. Okay, so here's the secret. This is the mystery, okay. So she's proclaiming this, and she's saying the truth. But something about what she's doing is annoying Paul. And then he looks at her and goes to the spirit that's in her, come out in the name of Jesus. Now, what has just happened? You got to recognize this woman is two times bound. She's a slave 
to her physical master, and she's a slave to this demon. Possession means slavery. She is possessed, right? So she's two times bond, bond, in bondage, two times, all right? The, once the physical slave master enjoys the fact that she is possessed by a demon. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all have had people in your life that have enjoyed the idea that you have been possessed by demonic activity. They like the idea that you get too horny. They like the idea that your money gets low. They like the idea that you're overly emotional. They like the idea that you got previous hurts. They like, they, they like it because when you have to act out with this spirit, they get to be the benefactors. They get your time and attention. They get your extra labor, your extra work. They get your glistening ear, your good wisdom, your open heart, your generosity. They get loving, attention, and time. And they hope you will never find out how oppressed you really are. Don't ever find this out. Because if you do, what I can use you for is gone. Because I need you to tap in to all your previous trauma that makes this type of sinning work. Come on, somebody. I need you to tap in to all your previous mistakes. I, I need you to tap in to how this never worked right in your life and how your parents never really loved you and nobody ever really understood you and, and you can't be free from this demon. Hello, somebody. Because every once in a while, it benefits me. What Paul offered her was opportunity. The demon cast out did not bring her to salvation. You don't see that anywhere in the scripture. The demon cast out from her gave her opportunity to distinguish between her desire to be delivered and her passions that hinder her deliverance. What she is proclaiming is truth. She knows it's truth from supernatural means. This is a person that understands this bench will hold me. And they will tell you, sit in the bench. But they don't ever sit in it themselves. No matter how tired they are, they have a spirit that is possessing them that even though that they, their feet are broken, their knees are aching, their back is overworked, but they're going to make sure you go sit in the bench. No, no, God is real. No, God is good. No, he's a great God and hallelujah and praise Jesus. And, and they're going to make sure they go to church and they're going to run the usher board and the finance team and they're going to do the media and they're going to sing the songs and they're going to make sure everybody else knows that that bench is real. But when it comes to them, they never sit in it. 
See, what you're proclaiming reveals that you really want to be free. You coming to church and ushering and counting the money and sweeping the floor and singing the songs. It reveals that you really do want to be delivered. Y'all don't want to help me today. I really do want to be free. And I, I'm going to keep yelling, these are the ways of salvation. This is the way to salvation. But you cannot distinguish between what you are preaching and the need of your deliverance and the actual passions that hinder that deliverance. Her yelling this is hindering her from actually sitting in the bench. Yeah. It's quite easy to see that you have demonic activity because you know the truth, but the truth has not set you free. Well, you want to find out, Pastor, well, how you know to cast out? How you know if I got a demon? Because you know the truth. And that truth has not set you free. Jesus. Baby, you got a demon. And when I said, come on up, if you feel like you've been possessed by a demon, and y'all was all scarce to come up. And when we actually prayed that prayer, somebody said, I didn't feel no difference. But that doesn't make you saved. That lets you distinguish between I do want to be free and the passions that prohibit me from that actual freedom. She's crying out the truth. Passionately, day after day, trying her best, thinking that since I know it, then, then I'll just be participating in what I know and I'll, I'll do what I know and, and I'll do what I can. And she keeps doing this every day, week after week after week after week. But this very thing is the act that is causing her not to recognize it's a hindrance to her own deliverance. Don't act confused. Some of y'all do church so much. That the church is actually a hindrance. You doing church is a hindrance to your actual deliverance. So when I got to strip away everything, I got to strip away church. I got to strip away things from your life, friends, family. Everything's got to be stripped off. Now stop doing church and start recognizing that you really have not been transformed. She ain't been changed. Because she can proclaim the way of salvation. She never took the seat. She doesn't sit in on a consistent basis. Let me tell you something. Believers that have been changed by the spirit of God, born again, slip. But they do not stay. You make a mistake. And then you get up out of that instantaneous no it don't take months i'm gonna try to wean myself off it. no no if you gotta wean yourself off of it it's a heart condition you're trying to get used to the bench i don't know if i really want to commit to bench life i just i'm gonna just slowly ease into using the bench more often there's been no transformation you practice in salvation you're practicing Christianity. It has not fully changed you. Hello? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. A real believer, when they slip up, darn. Pastor, we slipped into sin. We need to break up. This is what you're supposed to say to me. In case you wanted to know. You're supposed to come to me and go, oh, pastor, we slipped up. 
I got to break up. I got to break up with him. I got to break up with her. It's just got to be over. Why? Because we, we had sex. Now, in this point, I'm going to look at you intently. I'm going to try to figure out if you really mean this or is this a shock. So I said, oh, okay, well, we'll just, you don't have to break up just yet. I think you really like this person. Let's just not do this. Let's not see each other at night. Let's not do this. Now, if you can keep those, then you were true in your slip. If you try to find ways to go back to, to not keep these, hello, these new rules, that it, then it was never, you never really wanted, unless you stay in it longer than you ever intended. And now, now it's, it is called among you, you are sexually immoral. You're gay. You're a lesbian. You're a thought. You're, you're a womanizer. Now it's, now it's named among you. The only reason named among you is because you've been in it too long. You've been in it too long. Now, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. Apparently, you do. Because you sat in that chair rather than this bench. You must believe in the God that says you can have something from this sinful act. Because this chair says if you sleep with him or her, you can have happiness, joy, peace, comfort, whatever it is. And that's the chair you sat in. You didn't sit in this bench. Don't tell me you don't believe something. You do. You believe in whatever method gets you what you want. And that's divination. It's witchcraft. It's sorcery. Acts of kindness. Let me, let me, let me just, let me. I'm trying to get to this verse here, the next one. It says, but when her master saw that her hope was, mm -hmm, and then it was something Paul and Barnabas said back when they were in Jerusalem and they were discussing what type of, there it is in verse 50, chapter 15. When they were back in Jerusalem, they were discussing what type of rules or laws they should put over the Gentiles and they came up with pretty much none of them, but just methods and means to make sure that they, that they didn't offend their brothers in, in, the way, in the way they lived. He said, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. This is verse eight of chapter 15 just as he did to us and made no distinguish, distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. The gift of the Holy Spirit was given that their hearts might be that stuff that keeps pressing on your, in, your initial intentions, your core of who you really, that thing that keeps changing as it starts to come out your mouth, that's, it's, he's going to purify those things. The Holy Spirit, when he's given to you, purifies your heart by faith. Every time you know to sit in this bench, it increases your faith. And whatever hindrances that came up on your way to sit in this bench are cleansed. Y'all don't want to help me. I don't know because I don't trust that leg right there that you got to sit in it. I'm going to sit in it because I just feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. Now you trust that leg. 
I don't want to sit in this because every time I sit in something, it always breaks down. You go up here and I'm going to do it because I just know that's what God told me to do. And that, see, now your heart is being purified by your acts of faith because faith without works is what? Dead. So if I believe that I have to actually do it, and when I do it, these acts of faith are purifying the things that keep contorting and changing my core self of who I'm supposed to be and redirecting into something I didn't want it to be expressed as. People have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You just haven't. Sit on down. You know him. But you don't know him. And it's time for that to stop. And what you're finding is you can't be in this house professing to be a Christian and not sit in this bench every day. Because every time you don't, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. And every week and every message and every Sunday, I'm going to be in your face making you feel bad. How you make people? I just be around you. I don't even do nothing. I just be around you. You be like, I, just, I really need to stop. You be thinking all kinds of, I know what, when I get home, I'm going to throw away all my porn. I, would, I ain't even said nothing. I just show, good morning. Oh, I, need to, I need to take care of that. What I just, just, <laughs> <laughs> but your heart has to be purified by the Spirit of God. That's what baptism of the Holy Spirit does. It purifies your heart. When it comes to divination, in the book of Leviticus, when it comes to divination, it talks about how you're not supposed to deal with anybody that practices that or participate in it because it will pollute your soul. This means that you, you, you are having a, a solid core, a spirit that God has raised, right? And then you start trying to find answers to things in methods that God did not intend. Hello, somebody. And this began to pollute. So now when you want this true self to come up, it's just garbage. Garbage. Acts of kindness without a purified heart by the spirit of God is manipulation. Where is the lie? Acts of worship without a purified heart by the Spirit of God is idolatry. Acts of romance without a purified heart of the Spirit of God is sexual immorality. You can't afford not to have your heart purified by the Spirit of God. Because everything that flows out of you is wicked. Even your best is slop. And you know it. I think the best example I'm using Joel. I think the best example I can use Joel because Chrissy's beside her and I think it's great. Is Joel. As nice as she is. And she's for the most part nice like if I had to scale 
niceness, one in 10. I give her about a six and a half to a seven. I give myself about a four in terms of niceness. Okay, she's nice. I would, okay, maybe five. All right, I'm like half, I'm like bittersweet. <laughs> I'm a sweet tart. <laughs> mm, sweet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe your pastor? <laughs> Sweet tart. <laughs> okay, but Jewel, even her tart that she tried to be sweet, so we'll take her up, right? But I know in her, she knows every good deed and its wickedness that's attached to it prior to meeting her. And she knew she needed Christ in a new way because her good, she knew was not good. If the sweetest person that I know could be that way, some of the rest of us ain't hardly sweet folk. I don't even know how you think your stuff coming out good. <laughs> you do, I'm a good Christian. <laughs> but you can tell in yourself how much selfishness is attached to that deed how much comparison is attached to that thought how much self-preservation is attached to that action and you know it's just filthy rags hello this woman the spirit this demon was cast out of her in Jesus name by the power of God right came out of her that very hour this does not give her salvation this lets her see the difference between you really want to be delivered and the passions that hinder your deliverance that's that's the part I have to deal in because you you're doing the actions by coming to church that show you really want to be delivered but you can't distinguish those from the passions that are actually hindering that deliverance Y'all don't want to help me. Hello? You're, you're, you're doing, like Danielle, I'm going to use you as a Danielle will do a lot of nice stuff. But a lot of the nice stuff that she does, because this is a passion of who she is and God, she's doing. But those things are also a hindrance to her deliverance of people-pleasing and insecurity. You end up doing the thing that you're passionate about, because that's all you know to do. It's probably why Gabrielle's been set down so much, because then it becomes a hindrance to your actual deliverance. When Gabrielle told me, no, but I'm passionate about the media department, I said, and you still passionately set down. <laughs> if it will cause you to act in such a way that who you really are gets all tainted and comes out looking all sloppy like this, this is now a hindrance to your actual deliverance. Your passion is a hindrance and you cannot distinguish between the two. But I love people. I love my friend. It's a hindrance to your deliverance. But how's my friend doing? Shut up with that friend stuff. You can't see? Are you blind? You need to be delivered. This demon has his eyes on you. We done cast them out once so you could see. Fill this house before seven more demons come in after him. If your house was full, you ain't got time for that silly friend. That's true. That's true. Why are you supposed to have no friends? No, 
No. No, you ain't supposed to have none. Why I can't have no friends? Did that make you mad? I thought you died in Christ. Dead people don't have friends. <laughs> is your life so miserable? Oh, my life is so miserable because I can't have a boyfriend. My life is so miserable because I can't. Oh, you, ooh, you show is mighty alive for a dead person. <laughs> no matter what, it's going to come back to, did you actually believe that you were going to live for God or were you here to live for yourself? So if I say, no, you can't have this, and no, you can't have that, and God says, you can't have this, you can't have that, and you go, so I'm not supposed to have anything? Does that bother you? And to the extent that it does is to the extent that you never died. And some, some of y'all, the smallest things he taps on bothers you far too much. I've been looking at you like, what's wrong? I just feel like I can't ever get anything for me. And I understand. We ain't even talking about a Peter snip here, you know, I'm just. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's some, it's some things that, it's some things that's a walk of cost you. I was looking at you like, oh no, you had to give that up. Chump. <laughs> then you know I'm going to say, you're, you're a chump, so you try to act hard. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, boy. You don't look fine. All right. <laughs> the woman was delivered that very hour. But when, of course, when her slave master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drag, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them before the judges. The judges ripped off their clothes and beat them. And they took them to prison, right? Laid many stripes on them, threw them into prison, told the commander of the jail, you make sure you keep them secure. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, right? So he twice imprisoned Paul and Silas. Now remember, this demon-possessed girl was two times, was two times a slave. Two times. She was a slave, and then she was demon-possessed. Paul and Silas are in a prison, and then in the prison, they have to put them in an inner prison. So they two times in prison. So you got you to gotta read it, all right? All right, you got to watch it, all right? What is God trying to show us? This woman was two times enslaved, right? The demonic spirit was cast out. We don't know how her story ended. We see Paul and Silas are now two times in prison, in prison and then in the prison inside the prison, and then chained and bound. An earthquake happens. All the chains fall off and all the doors open. The guard who had the responsibility was told, you make sure they don't ever get out. Realizes that the gates are slung open. He panics. My master, my boss, my, he's going to kill me. They're going to put me in prison. I can't live like this. And he proceeds to kill himself. 
because he knows that the, 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 the prisoners are gone. Paul and Silas are still in the prison. That's exactly the point. They didn't run. Here again is where freedom from your emotions allows you to be free in God. You get to choose to stay in prison in order to save anybody concerned with their own well-being would have saw them jail cells open and took and then out. Hello, somebody. But when you are concerned with the things of God, whether the jail cells are open or whether they are closed, I am a slave to Christ and not to you. That's true freedom. Standing all over the house. That's true freedom. Freedom from your emotions allows you to freely be with God. It allows you to freely know the Lord, to walk in what he calls you to walk in, being free from God, I mean from sin, allows you to be free in God. There are passions that are hindering you from your deliverance, things that you desire that will always come into play when it's time for you to sit in the bench. And they keep shaping and reshaping you into who you're not supposed to be. What you want to do, you can't seem to do. The righteousness that should shine forth from you never does. You can see that your acts of kindness are just acts of manipulation. Your romances are sexual immorality. Your worship is idolatry. Things are not lining up. Your heart needs to be purified by the Spirit of God. Some of you need to die once and for all. Die to self. There's so much freedom in being able to to choose to do whatever God wants. I didn't have to preach today. I could have asked anybody. Pastor Conine, Minister Hudson. Pain or no pain, I choose to preach. Not because my salvation is attached to it. It's not. It's because out of a purified heart that the Spirit of God has given me, I love rightly. Don't you want to learn how to love without so much self-preservation? Without so much protecting of self? Worrying about who's going to hurt you next, what's going to fall apart next. All of that is, is rendered powerless when the Holy Spirit births you anew. Yes. 